So today is the 12th of February, 2020, in Mayapur. And are you going to be able to do simultaneous translation? Yes. I'm going to be looking at Chapter 2 of the Bhagavad Gita. And... Arjuna was asking about the symptoms or the behavior of a self-realized person. And Krishna is speaking about control of the senses. And he gives then these very well-known verses in text 62 and 63 that we often call the fall-down sequence. And this, of course... Uh, we have the illustration in the Bhagavad Gita, right? The different contemplating the objects of the senses. One develops attachment from attachment lust, from lust anger, and then in 63, from anger delusion. We all experience this, right? From delusion bewilderment of memory, when memory is bewildered, intelligence is lost, and we fall in the material pool. So I think this is something that every conditioned soul has experienced. We think about something, and we think about it, think about it, think about it, think about it, think about it. And then we develop some attachment. And that attachment can be also a negative attachment. I don't want to see this person anymore. I never want to see them again. I never want to hear about them again. I never want to go there again. I don't want to do this again. So it can be a negative attachment or a positive attachment. Something that becomes obsessive. And it's, it's interesting, we have the word in Sanskrit, anusmaram. Smaram means to remember, and anu means to follow. So it's like when you're remembering something over and over again. And this word, anusmaram, is in the Bhagavatam, in relationship to the fighting at the end of the battle of Kurukshetra between Balaram and uh, Duryodhana. Am I going slowly enough for you? Bhima. Bhima. Uh, thank you. Bhima and Duryodhana, where Balaram came and saw them fighting and tried to get them to stop. So Balaram says to Bhima and Duryodhana, please stop fighting. Uh, Duryodhana is more skilled. Bhima is stronger, no one's going to win. And it's true, nobody could win by the rules of fighting. There had to be cheating in order for Bhima to win. But it said that Bhima and Duryodhana didn't listen because they were anusmaram. They were remembering, oh, this person insulted me. So that's another kind of remembering, contemplating. One can be contemplating... I want that new watch, I want that new watch, I want that new watch. I, I want to marry this person. And one can be contemplating, this person insulted me, this person insulted me, this person insulted me. Everybody understands? And from that attachment, there comes a kind of lust, a, a kind of intense desire that I, I want to get this or I want to get this away. You know, I, I want to get the watch or I want to hurt my enemy or something, whatever it may be. And from this lust comes anger because we're not the controllers. <laughs> you know, I may try to get the watch and then as soon as I, I can't get the money maybe or I finally get the money and then they've sold it out, they don't have it anymore or I try to hurt my enemy and it doesn't work. I tell everybody what a terrible person this person is and nobody listens to me and they're still in charge. Yeah? So then I become angry. <coughs> Tamal Krishnamars analyzed three things that we want something and we just don't get it. It just doesn't happen at all so we become angry. You know, I want the watch, I want the position... I want to have this person thrown out of the GBC. And it doesn't happen. So we become angry. 
Or in another reason to become angry is we, we want it and it does happen, but then it doesn't really satisfy us. We get the watch and it doesn't work the way we wanted it to work. We marry the person and we find out we don't like them. We get the person thrown out of their position and there's still problems. So we be, that also makes us angry. And then what else makes us angry is when we get what we want and it's perfect, but then we lose it. You get the perfect watch and then you lose it on the train. You know, you marry the perfect person and they die of cancer. You know, it, 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 so we get what we want and then it's temporary. You get rid of this terrible evil demon from a position of authority and then some other terrible evil demon comes and takes a position of authority. So it, it's temporary and we become angry. And when we become angry, we become very confused. We lose our memory. We forget about... Shastra, we, f- we forget everything in anger, correct? Yes? We just forget everything. And we lose our memory. And if someone tries to remind us, if someone says, you know, hey, you're in the mode of ignorance, why are you acting like this? You know, we were just, we lose our intelligence. We lose our memory, we lose our intelligence and we fall into material life. So we, we've all had this experience, yes? Everybody's had this experience. Think about something, think about something, think about something until we get some attachment. The attachment gets frustrated. In our frustration, we become angry. We feel we have a right to our anger. And then we, we forget everything. We forget all Krishna conscious philosophy goes away. I'm sure we've had experience trying to preach to people in this state, this mental, emotional state. Does it work? It, it's, it, it's a complete failure. I mean, sometimes they may remember, you know, a few days later, they may came, come and say, now that I've calmed down. But when somebody is in the middle of this lust, attachment, anger, bewilderment, any good instruction you try to give them doesn't work. You know, there's a nice story in the Bhagavatam in the sixth canto about Daksha. And it's very interesting because Daksha wanted to have a lot of children as a service for the Lord. And when he prayed the Hamsaguya prayers, his purpose was to satisfy the Lord, to please the Lord because there was a need for population it was a, it was a problem you know the material world is meant to facilitate the desires of the living entities and have to give them bodies so he had 10,000 sons who he said before you get married and have children you should perform austerities and become purified so you'll have good children But Narada Muni saw that they became purified and he said, why do you want to get married and have children? Just become sannyasis. And they did. And Daksha thought, well, that wasn't very nice. It reminds me of uh, one temple my family moved to and we were looking for a room where parents with young children could listen to the class, like with a speaker, and have, you know, a playroom for the children during Bhagavatam class. So there was a room in the temple that was full of junk and dirty. It wasn't being used. We asked the authorities, can we clean up this room and make it a space for the, mostly the mothers with the young children? And sure. So we spent two weeks cleaning up the room. And after we cleaned up the room, the town president saw it and said, I didn't realize what a nice space this is. We're going to use it for something else. And so it was taken away. So it was like that with Daksha. Daksha was training his children to become first-class Rastas, and then Narada Muni took them away. So Daksha said, well, okay, you know, I'll tolerate. So then he had another thousand sons. And then Narada went to them and basically just said, you should follow your older brothers. That's basically all that he said. And the brothers were like, sure. So they also took sannyas. So then Daksha was very angry. 
And, and, and it's interesting because he had been producing these children for service. I mean, he wanted to enjoy the world. He definitely wanted an excuse to enjoy the world. But still, it was a service. It was, a, you know, there was a material motive there, but it was a service. And it's explained that when he had seen the Lord, he had felt bhava. But he was attached. I have the service to do for Vishnu, and it has to be done my way, and Narada has interfered with my service to Vishnu, and he became very, very critical of Narada and very angry. And it's interesting, Narada allowed Daksha to become angry with him. He just stayed there while Daksha was becoming angry. And Srila Prabhupada explains that Narada was thinking, well, once Daksha finishes yelling at me and cursing me, his anger will go away, he'll, he'll calm down, and then I can preach to him about transcendence like I did to everybody else in his family. But that didn't happen. After Daksha was angry, he never calmed down. He just remained angry at Narada. And then he produced 60 daughters, and he thought, well, Narada won't bother the girls. And uh, they went on to, to produce all the living entities in the universe. Uh, but the point is that Narada didn't try to preach to Daksha while he was angry. He thought, let Daksha finish his anger, because generally we express our anger and then it's over. He thought, let Daksha finish his anger and then I can preach. Even then, it didn't work. But at least while somebody's in the middle of anger, in the middle of lust, in the middle of attachment, even such a great personality as Daksha, who saw the Lord face to face, could not be reached. And and it explains also in the Bhagavatam with regard to the Prachetas that anger kind of falls out of the sky. The way the Bhagavatam explains it, like we suddenly become very angry. But actually it's not sudden. There's this progression. It may seem to us that we're just happily going about our lives. And then, you know, and we're very Krishna conscious and we're chanting Hare Krishna and we're reading the Shastra, and everything's wonderful, and then, poof, something happens, and we just lose our intelligence. Doesn't it seem like that? Like, we're just fine. And something happens, and then we become very upset, and, like, what happened to my Krishna consciousness? But that's not the case. The case is that there's always this progression. Even when it seems as the Bhagavatam states, that anger falls out of the sky. It doesn't really. And even something that falls out of the sky, it takes some time to come down, yeah? So there's always first this contemplation, then attachment, then lust, then anger, then bewilderment. We don't just get bewildered. So Krishna doesn't leave us here. He doesn't end the Bhagavad Gita at text 63 of the second chapter. He gives a a very interesting solution in the next verse in text 64. And I have found it fascinating that in all my years in ISKCON, I hear a lot of preaching about text 62 and 63 and very little about text 64. So I've I've heard many, many people talk about this fall-down sequence. But what to do about it? What to do about it? I mean, sometimes people will just explain 62 and 63 and simply say, well, don't contemplate. But Krishna gives a a very specific solution in text 64. I know that, um, at least I've heard that Vaisheshika Prabhu likes text 64 as a verse to say before taking prasadam. The reason being that the word prasadam is in the verse. But let, let's take a look at text 64 because it, this is a really amazing instruction given here by Krishna. And although it's given in the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita, so Srila Prabhupada generally identifies the Bhagavad Gita as the ABCs of spiritual life, correct? The very beginning, very basic. 
The more advanced Prabhupada would say is the Bhagavatam, more advanced is the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Right? And then we have the literatures of the Goswamis, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. So this is very basic. Bhagavad Gita is very basic. Chapter 2, Prabhupada called Contents of the Gita Summarized. And we could say chapter 2 is dealing, of the Bhagavad Gita, is dealing with the basic of the basic of the basic. Everybody would agree with this? This is not high, high, high stuff. It's not like Bhagavad Gita chapter 2 is, oh, I, I can't read this because I'm not advanced enough. Very simple. But yet, although this is a very basic part of a, of a basic scripture, I see that this verse is often overlooked as a real key. So let's look at the Sanskrit. Raga dvesha vimukchais tu vishayan indriyash charan atma yasyar viheyatma prasadam abhigachati. So in the word for word, raga means attachment. Dvesha means detachment. So wanting something and hating something. It can also be translated as attachment and aversion. And Srila Prabhupada uses, in the word for word he calls it attachment and detachment. In the translation he calls it attachment and aversion. Vimuktai, well everybody knows what that means, one who's free. We've got mukti. So one who's free from raga and dvesha. True, but vishayan sense objects. Indriyai by the senses, charan acting upon, atma vashyai under one's control, vidheya atma, one who follows regulated freedom. Okay, so then we have about behavior. So first we have free from attachment and aversion. Then we have the sense objects with the senses, having the senses act on the sense objects, to be under one control and having, having videha atma, having regulated freedom. Then prasadam is the mercy of the Lord. And here, of course, Krishna is not referring to samosas and gulabjanas. Abhigachati attained. So it means to go to. You go to the mercy of the Lord. So Srila Prabhupada's translation, but a person, but, we have the word to, but, so this is in opposed to the other two verses. So we have the person who contemplates attachment, lust, anger, delusion. But a person free from all attachment and aversion and able to control his senses through regulative principles of freedom can obtain the complete mercy of the Lord. So in order to get free of maya, we need the mercy of the Lord. Right? Later on in the Bhagavad Gita, we have the verse, Daivi Eshigunamai, Mama Maya Durajaya, Mam Evaye Prapajante, Mayam Etam Turantite. The interesting situation is that we are spiritual and therefore we are a superior energy to matter, but we cannot get out of illusion without the mercy of the Lord. I think of it an, 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 an analogously, well, that was not the right word, analogously, that just like if the government builds a prison, so I as a person am stronger than brick. I can manipulate brick and steel, but when the government builds a prison, they have to let me out. I can't get out out of my own endeavor. Even though humans are able to manipulate the materials of the prison. So even though I as a soul am stronger than matter, when Krishna puts matter together in a way to imprison me, I cannot get out on my own endeavor. I need to be let out by the Lord. Prabhupada's prayer when he came to America was a very interesting part of it. Prabhupada says that the conditioned souls are put into illusion by your desire and by your desire you can release them. Now that may sound like what Krishna just says, go be an illusion. But it's more like uh, if you say you want to go on a ride at an amusement park, you pay your money to go on the ride and then the uh, 
managers, they put you in the ride and they put on a bar or some kind of strap to keep you in, yes? And the, the bars, you cannot release yourself. That would be very dangerous. You know, if someone's going on a ride up in the sky on a big wheel, and if some child could release the bar themselves at the top, they would fall out. So they, they lock you in, and you can't get out by your own effort. But of course, you got locked in because you wanted to get locked in. I want to take the ride, I want to take the ride. So Krishna has put us in illusion because we want to be in illusion, but then we get locked. And we need his mercy to get out. I think any of us who've ever tried to get out of Maya by our own strength or willpower have noticed that it is not possible. Have you noticed that? If you just say, today I am going to be humble. I don't know if you've ever tried this. Okay, yesterday I made a lot of mistakes. Today I'm not going to make any mistakes. I'm going to be humble, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to respect everybody. Does it always work? Right? Something happens and we just forget everything. Oh no, again I was acting on the platform of ego. Okay, tomorrow I'll do better. And we think, you know, by my own strength and my own effort or, you know, something like that. But it, it, it's mercy. And we experience that when we get mercy from Krishna, then we can do almost anything. Yes, we have experienced this also. That when it's a question of grace of Guru, grace of the Vaishnavas, grace of Krishna, then things that are impossible for us to do, we can do. And by our own endeavor, getting out of Maya is not possible. So how are we going to get the mercy of God? Do we just go around life and just... Maybe it'll fall on me. So Krishna's saying, how do you get free from this cycle? You need mercy, you need prasadam. And again, he's not exactly talking about samosas, although that, that's nice also. I mean, Uddhava says in the 11th canto, he says, I get free from illusion by taking the remnants of your food and clothing and garlands. So we do mean that kind of prasadam too. That that's not excluded, which is, I think, why Vaisheshika Prabhu has his disciples chant this verse before eating. But we mean here prasadam on, on a very deep level of getting God's grace. There's one place where Srila Prabhupada defines grace as what we get from Krishna without asking, and mercy is when we get, we ask for it. And so Prabhupada gave that definition of the English words grace and mercy. And I think we've all gotten both. Sometimes we just get grace from Krishna, even if we haven't asked for it. And other times we're saying, please give me mercy. And Krishna gives us mercy. But here Krishna's giving us the formula. And he's asking for two things. He's giving a mental sadhana and a physical sadhana. So the mental sadhana is raga dvesha vimuktai. Don't have attachment and aversion. The physical sadhana is regulate your gross senses. Now in all my years in ISKCON, I've heard a lot about the second one. Regulate your gross senses. You know, eat only certain food at certain times of the day, only have sex in marriage for children, wear simple clothing. I've heard uh, regulating your gross senses. Don't go to the movies. <clears throat> but I hadn't heard a lot about being free from attachment and aversion. It's not something that I heard a lot. And in looking at this verse, again, in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, it struck me how there was something very important here that Krishna is saying. That if we want the mercy of the Lord to be free from illusion, regulating our gross senses is certainly part of the picture, but it's not the whole picture. And in fact, if we don't do the mental discipline, 
doing the physical discipline can become difficult. And the mental discipline is to become free from all attachment and aversion. How to do that? So that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at. How do we become free from attachment and aversion? Because that's the start of the fall-down sequence. The start of the fall-down sequence is something we think about that sparks an attachment or an aversion in us. And we should remember that an aversion is as powerful as an attachment. You know, the Inusparam that Bhima and Duryodhana were doing, that was an aversion. It wasn't an attachment. They hated each other. I mean, we can say that it's Leela and Krishna desired the fight and so forth. That, that is a fact. But it's also a fact that they were wrapped up in aversion and the Supreme Lord, as Balaram, said, stop. And they weren't able to hear him. So that's also... That's also operating. On, on, so we have two levels of things that are operating. And we have examples in the Shastra of people getting really wrapped up in aversions. We have, you know, uh, for me, the, one of the prime examples is Amba, where Amba hated Bhishma so much. And I, mean, I don't see that Bhishma did really anything wrong. I suppose he could have asked the girls before he kidnapped them, are you already in love with somebody? Uh, they could have also spoken up at that time and said, hey, I already love somebody. But anyway, she was so angry at Bhishma for taking her for his brother. You know the story or is there someone who doesn't know the story? Everybody knows the story? Yes? No. No? Okay, so Vichy Chaviria, uh, Bhishma's half-brother, was time for him to get married, but he wasn't very strong. He wasn't a very healthy, strong person. So Bhishma decided that he was going to find a wife for him. But instead of just talking to parents and looking at astrology, he went and kidnapped these three princesses at their swayambar. And that kind of thing would sometimes happen. You know, generally at the swayambar, the girls are choosing who they want to marry. Uh, but sometimes they would get kidnapped. So Bhishma kidnapped these three sisters. And when he brought them back to be uh, three wives for his half-brother, one of them said, Amba said, I don't want to marry your brother. I'm already in love with Shalva. And I was going to garland him at the Swayambar. So then Bhishma said, well, I don't want you to marry my brother if you're in love with another man. You should marry the man you're in love with. So he had her sent to Shalva with all honor and royal procession. And then Shalva said, I don't want to marry this girl. You already took her. She belongs to you. I, you know, which was just Shalva's ego here. You know, it, was, it was all ego. He wasn't thinking about the happiness of the woman. He was just thinking about his own ego. So then Amba says, Shalva won't marry me. And I already said I don't want to marry your brother. So now I want to marry you because you're the one who kidnapped me, so you're the one who put me in this situation, which was sort of true. And Bhishma said, well, I'm sorry, I've taken a vow never to marry, so I can't marry you. I think also, who would want to marry someone who wanted to marry them out of anger and vengeance, you know? I hate you for ruining my life, therefore I want to marry you. So it wasn't exactly very attractive on any level. Anyway, Bhishma did not marry him, but there's more to the story. But he didn't marry her, and uh, she tried to force him to marry her. It didn't work. And so she took a, a vow of vengeance that I'm going to kill Bhishma. And she spent the rest of her life doing austerities to try to kill Bhishma. And she took another birth, and in that second birth, again, she did austerities to try to kill Bhishma. Took another birth, and in that birth, she changed from a, she was born a, a girl, and then by mystic power of a yaksha, turned into a man, Shikandi, and went on the battlefield and was the cause of Bhishma's getting killed by Arjuna. 
So in her in the third life, she actually was the cause of Bhishma's death. And if you think about this, Krishna was on the planet at the time. And he was there on the battlefield. So uh, Shikandi could have, I mean, there's Krishna right there. Shikandi could have easily become a pure devotee and gone back to home, back to Godhead. And instead was just obsessed with having vengeance on Bhishma. So that's an example of aversion. An example of attachment is Pururava, who falls in love with Urvasi, the <coughs> celestial Apsara. And uh, when he's tricked and so that Urvasi leaves him, he thinks about Urvasi every day and every night, all the time, until he goes to the heavenly planets to be with Urvasi. And he was a great personality. He could have, again, easily become a great devotee. But instead, he was so attached to Urvasi. So either way, whether it's an attachment or an aversion, this contemplation, 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 contemplation. So how do we become free from attachment and aversion? Well, there's several ways of doing it, and we're going to go over several ways that are given in the Bhagavad Gita and the Bhagavatam. And these are important because if we become free from attachment and aversion and regulate our senses, we will get the mercy of the Lord and we will get free from illusion. So one very simple way is simply to recognize attachment and aversion in the very beginning stages which is why verse 62 and 63 are there, to recognize them from a distance. Not to to wait until one is overwhelmed by them. Just like we might have some foods that we can't eat, that we don't don't digest very well. So as soon as we see the food, we we might understand, oh, this is a food that doesn't agree with me. If I eat this food, I'll be sick. So we keep it at a distance because we recognize it. Or there may be some people that we've had experience that if I talk to this person, all they're going to do is talk gossip or all they're going to do is talk criticism or something. They're just going to waste my time and energy. So if we see them from a distance, we walk the other way. Yes? Everyone has had some experience like this? That there's things that we recognize. This is, this is something that I a person or an activity or something that is not good. And so from a, from a far distance, we, we change our course. We don't have to hate the food. We don't have to hate the person. We just, no, I'm not going to do this. So it is like that with attachment and aversion. To be able to recognize thoughts and feelings that are of the nature of material attachment and aversion. This discipline of being able to recognize attachment and aversion at a beginning stage is practiced even by the impersonalists. It's a general spiritual practice. And you'll find that people in in a variety of religions and spiritual practices speak like this. To be able to look at the thoughts and the feelings that go through our mind and our body and say, oh, That's a thought and a feeling of material attachment. That's a thought and a feeling of material aversion. And not to contemplate it. Not to start doing this anusmaram. But to recognize it and let it go. Another example would be, you walk here in Mayapur, sometimes there are stray dogs. Yes? So I just came from Vrindavan. We have stray dogs there, but also those rhesus monkeys that are very dangerous. And also, like on the pass, there are often these big bulls. Yeah? So you'll be walking on the pass in Vrindavan, and there'll be this huge bull. So generally, they're very peaceful. Right? Some big bull by the side of the road. It's usually just standing there completely peacefully. But do you walk right next to the bull? No. As soon as you see the big bull, you cross, if you're smart... You cross the street. You understand? You're going to walk past to a big... You know, even if they're very peaceful. 
or if there's a whole group of, of rhesus monkeys screaming, you know, or if the dogs, a couple years ago, right, right here, I saw two dogs fighting over the path. Who owned the path? The two dogs were trying to decide who owned Mayapur Dhamma. And they were having a big fight. So I went around them, yes? So this ability to recognize that in my mind and body there are symptoms of material attachment or material aversion. And just to let it pass, like a barking dog or like a big bull or like a monkey or like some nasty person. Just to, to go the other way. This technique was used by Jad Bharata. In the fifth canto, it's explained that Jad Bharata, when King Rahugana insulted him, he felt waves of dissatisfaction in his mind. That's aversion. Nobody likes to be insulted. I mean, Krishna says that even the sages have difficulty settling their minds after being insulted. And Bhagavatam states that harsh words can be worse than arrows going into the heart. So Jad Bharata, although he was a pure devotee of the Lord, some waves of dissatisfaction went through his mind, Bhagavatam states, when King Rahugana insulted him. But what did he do? He neglected it. Now, neglected is not an aversion. So in the mind were feelings of aversion to King Rahugana. But Jad Bharat wasn't averse to the aversion. He simply ignored it. When the dogs are fighting on the path, you don't hate the dogs. Some person who likes to gossip, not that you hate the person. Some big bull on the side of the road, not that you hate the bull. But just one becomes neutral and simply doesn't engage. And we all have experience of this. We all have experience of somebody trying to get us into some kind of argument and we just don't engage. Yes, everybody has done this. Yes? Someone's trying to get us to argue about something and we just say, you know, I, I really don't want to talk about this. Maybe talk to somebody else. Or, you know, I'm busy right now. I have to, And we just, we don't become hateful at the person or even the topic. So this is a freedom from attachment and aversion. To recognize it and take a position of neutrality. Now, we may not always be successful with doing this, just like we may not always be successful with controlling our gross senses. We may sometimes eat too much, for example, or sleep too much. We may sometimes fail at controlling our gross senses. We may sometimes fail at being free from all attachment and aversion because maya is stronger than us. But making the effort to do that pleases the Lord who then gives us mercy. Very, very much like if someone is trying to do something and failing, by their trying to do it, you may go to help them. But if they don't try to do it, you may not be inclined to help them. When Krishna is very small, sometimes the older gopis and, and gopas ask Krishna to carry something. And it says if, if it was too big for Krishna to carry, he would move his arms like he was trying to carry it. So when we, when we see somebody trying to do something difficult, we naturally become compassionate and we help them. Isn't it a fact? Right? If you see somebody trying to carry something heavy and you can help them. But if someone's not even trying, we're not so inclined to help. Isn't this true? So Krishna's the same way. If we're not even trying to become free from attachment and aversion and regulate our senses, but if we're trying, then we get the Lord's mercy. Now, there's also a, a specific technique of becoming free from attachment and aversion that has to do with a personalistic philosophy. 
because what I've just discussed is also used by the impersonalists. You'll find many all over the world people who are teaching different kinds of religion, spirituality, meditation. They'll also talk about this technique of recognizing an attachment and aversion as something of the mind, something of the body, recognizing it early enough that one becomes neutral. Beyond that, those of us who are personalists, who are meditating on on God as a person, we have another place to put the mind. We don't have to simply become neutral. So Prabhupada gives an analogy of a businessman in a car. And it's still pretty much true in India that businessmen riding in a car are probably not driving the car. More and more people are driving their own cars in India, like is done in much of the rest of the world. But still in India, most business people have a driver. Yes? And Srila Prabhupada, certainly when Prabhupada was living in India, that was the case. A businessman would not be driving his own car. And Srila Prabhupada says the businessman knows which way the car is going, if there's petrol in the tank, but he's not really very concerned because he's concerned about his own business. His, His mentality is on his own business. So our devotional way of becoming free from attachment and aversion is by meditating on Krishna. Which, of course, when we make an effort to meditate on Krishna, Krishna becomes even more inclined to give us his mercy. That, again, is natural. If somebody is thinking about me in an affectionate way, I'm going to be more likely to reciprocate with them than if they're not. That's, that's a very natural thing. What I found is, is a very helpful technique, Prabhupada says we should be educated in the techniques of spiritual life, is that when our mind and body go to an attachment or an aversion, and the natural tendency is to start to contemplate it. That's a natural tendency. We've been doing this for many, 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 many lifetimes. So when some attachment or aversion thought comes, the mind wants to jump right into contemplation. So because the mind wants to contemplate, one can say to the mind, just don't contemplate, remain neutral, walk around the dogs. But one can also say to the mind, let me give you something else to contemplate. This anusmaram is not only used in the negative sense, like with Bhima and Duryodhana, but it's also used in the positive sense, where Krishna tells Arjuna, Mam anusmaram yujicha, always think of me even while you're fighting. Now it may seem very difficult to just think of Krishna when some attachment or aversion comes into our consciousness and is demanding us to contemplate it. Right? It seems a little strange. Somebody just insulted me and I want to argue back with them and I want to think about how terrible they are and I want to think about how I'm going to get my revenge or I just found out about something that I want and I'm going to think about how to get it. So, you know, think about Krishna. Well, what does that mean? Where would I go? It is possible that anything in this world that either attracts us or repulses us has some equivalent in Krishna's lila or the leelas of his devotees. Because we are personalists and we worship a Krishna, Advaita Machutam Anadim Ananta Rupam, who has unlimited incarnations, and we also hear all the stories of his devotees. There's something in the scriptures that is something like whatever we're being attached to or averse to. If somebody insulted me, there are stories in the scripture of insults, like Rahugana and Jed Bharat, like Draupadi being insulted, like Shishupal insulting Krishna, like 
Duryodhan insulting Vidura, like Ravana insulting Ravana insulting Vibhishan, like Pariket insulting Samakarishi. Shamakarishi, when Pariket put the dead snake on Shamakarishi's neck, that was definitely an insult. So if somebody insults me and my mind starts going, think about it, think about it, think about it, think about it. This person insulted you and you did this. I did this. He did this. She did that. I said that. He did. And we did this last week and last month. And it's going to happen. Instead, we can say, wait a minute. Aversion what am I being averse to? I'm being averse to somebody insulted me. Is there any stories about insults I can think about in the scriptures? And we think about that instead. We start thinking about some lila. And it's very easy to go from something that's attracting us or repulsing us in this world to something in lila. That's a very easy thing to do. You know, all right. I'm walking, maybe I shouldn't say this because all these devotees are coming to Mayapur at this time of year to make money with their businesses. You're seeing the devotees are selling their, you know, bead bags and saris and dhotis and books and everything. So if you're wandering through Mayapur this time of year and then you see, oh, look at that beautiful something. I want that. Oh, it's so nice. Oh, look at it. It's 3,000 rupees. And then you're going on and you're trying to chant japa and you're thinking about the thing in the marketplace. And you, instead of just saying, okay, mind, be quiet. That doesn't usually work, by the way. You can think, is there something in Leela I can meditate on? Oh, I can meditate on when Krishna came to Matara with Balaram and the cowherd boys. And they asked the washerman, can I have those clothes? You understand? So if we're thinking, I want to buy this new clothes for 3,000 rupees, but I don't have 3,000 rupees, what am I going to do? I'm paying so much for the room. I'm paying, maybe if I just, just eat the temple prasadam and I don't eat at the restaurant, and maybe if I, and our mind starts contemplating, wait a minute, Wait a minute, this is an attachment. Oh, it's an attachment. What am I attached to? I'm attached to clothing. Are there any stories about clothing from the scriptures? Yeah, there's the washerman story. There's the story of Krishna and his queens in Dwarka. But after they go swimming, they give their clothing to the entertainers. There's the stories of the descriptions of Krishna's clothing. How his clothing is, is shining and shimmering. There's a, some nice descriptions of the clothing of Krishna's devotees when Rukmini was going to the temple to worship Durga before the wedding. There's some description of her clothing uh, when Lakshmana was accepted Krishna as her husband. There's some description of her clothing. There's descriptions of the clothing of Mother Yasoda when she's churning butter and singing about Krishna. So we can start meditating on that. And what happens then, we forget about our attachment to buying this or that at the marketplace. If we're upset and angry because somebody has offended us or insulted us, or someone has insulted our friend, then we can remember about the insults from the Bhagavad If we become angry and lose our intelligence because someone did some criminal activity, think of the criminal activities of King Vena or Kali or Duryodhan and when we become absorbed in that then the mind's natural tendency for this anusmaram for this contemplation and churning and churning and churning of thoughts and feelings instead of just trying to be neutral which is possible but more difficult we take the mind and say, 
go ahead and churn on something about Krishna. And when we do that, we'll find in like two minutes, the material attachment and aversion goes away. So this is uh, this verse 264 is a major key to how to get the mercy of the Lord and become free from this embarrassment. Prabhupada one time in talking about the Hare Krishna mantra. So the Hare Krishna mantra is saying, My dear Lord, I have been under the control of the material energy and I'm very embarrassed. It's embarrassing, isn't it? How much we are the servants of the material energy. Because I've been very embarrassed, so please engage me in your service. So any questions or comments? Yes. Sorry, one second. At 6 o'clock, so let's say 5 to 6, we have to... Leave this room. This room. Okay. And it's 20 to 6. Yeah, we're, we're fine. Yes. So I, I think your point is that we still have to take care of the body and the things in this world. And, of course, this question is raised very often that if I just think about Krishna, how will I take care of my things? Of course, Krishna says, Mama Nusmaram Yujicha, think of me while you are fighting. And what happens when we turn our consciousness to Krishna, generally, is we're better able to deal with the world. Just like Krishna says in the mode of goodness, you can see what should be done, what should not be done, what's binding and what is liberating. In the mode of passion, you're confused. In the mode of ignorance, you see everything reversed. So the more we're in the mode of goodness, the more we can understand even how to act in the world. But to speak if we're in bhakti. Now it may be sometimes that getting absorbed in Krishna, a person becomes in so much ecstasy that they actually cannot deal with the world anymore. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu at the end of his pastimes would sometimes go into such deep ecstasy that he would lose all awareness of the external world. Hare Krishna, thank you so much. And that would sometimes happen. We have... um, and in Chaitanya, I think it's in Chaitanya Bhagavat, there's this nice pastime described with this devotee Vijay, where Mahaprabhu put his hand on Vijay's body, and Vijay saw that that was the hand of God. And for the next seven days, he didn't sleep or eat or speak to anybody. He was in this ecstatic trance where he didn't interact with the world. So and, and we find, you know, like Shamakarishi who was in Samadhi and didn't hear Pariket. Uh, Lord Shiva who was in Samadhi and didn't see Daksha. So we do have instances. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, rarely, but sometimes Srila Prabhupada would go into an ecstatic trance and just stop interacting with anybody. So that may happen. But uh, generally, we see that the great devotees they keep their ecstasy within and they still function in the world, but they function in the world from a different platform without attachment and aversion. Because as soon as we have attachment and aversion to the world, we lose our intelligence. We lose our memory, we lose our spiritual knowledge, we lose our intelligence, and we end up doing and saying very foolish things that caused nothing but misery for us and everybody else. But the, the great devotees, like the Goswamis, they were absorbed. You know, hey Radhe, Radhe Devi, Kei, Chalalite, Hei Nanda, Sunakuta. They were 
absorbed in ecstasy and yet you know dira dira the everybody in vrindavan was going to them for advice even the even people who weren't devotees so we have i mean shri prabhupad was very practical and and astute and aware of what was going on and it's not that he it's not that he wasn't able to function or manage things because he was always seeing Krishna. But that was a very good question. I'm very glad you asked that. Is that all right? Anything else? Yes. I'm confused about you said that Bhagavad is the basic knowledge because there is a statement that this knowledge is king of all knowledges and the most secret knowledge so this is, Krishna told himself once to say that something is more superior. Mm. That, that's a very thoughtful question. So, Can you repeat the question? So she's saying that why was I saying Bhagavad Gita is basic when Krishna himself says, Rajavidya, this is the king of all knowledge. First of all, it's not me saying it's basic. It's Srila Prabhupada saying it's basic. And it's something that Prabhupada says a lot. But where does Krishna say Rajavidya? Do you remember which chapter? Anybody remember? Yes? Nine. Chapter nine. Does anybody know how Krishna starts off chapter 14? That's 15. 14 is about the modes of nature. But how does Krishna start that chapter? He says, now I'm going to tell you knowledge which is better than anything I've already told you. So chapter 9, Krishna says, Rajavidya. Chapter, then after that, he says, now I'm going to tell you something better than some, anything I've already told you. Oh, he says Every chapter he says can you say is that what you, you say? Th- th- this is the answer. You just say, oh, Krishna, you always say that. Your wish? You he says, says that every chapter. He's not going to say anything better. Now I'm going to say something more. <laughs> and when he speaks about You're so Moses, sweet. You have, she has such intimate love for Krishna. And when he speaks about Moses, he says he can be liberated. Yes, but it's very interesting. Yes, it's very interesting that in chapter 14, which is about the modes... Okay? Chapter 9 is most, it's in the section about bhakti. Chapter 14 is in the section of Gyan, about the modes, and there Krishna says, that to me is a more interesting question. Why does Krishna say in chapter 14 that this is better than what I've told you before? And then at the end of the whole Bhagavad Gita, he says, Sarvadharma and Purchaja. <laughs> Anyway, the fact that Krishna is saying this is the king of knowledge in, uh, in chapter 9, but then he himself gives something that he says is higher in chapter 14. So I don't see any problem at all with saying that he's always cheating. No, I don't think it's like that. Maybe. Maybe it is like that. But I don't think it's like that in this case. We, we have the terms Prabhupada uses, perfect, more perfect, and most perfect. I, I think from a material point of view, if you say this is the best thing, that's an absolute word, and it means there isn't anything better. Many years ago, I used to shop for devotees in India. When I would come to India, I would buy things for like, 20 devotees and bring them back to America as, as a favor not, a, not as a business so one of the things I learned in shopping for fabric clothing is that I would go to a shop and I'd say please give me your highest quality Arisen Saris and after a few years I got to know what is what, is what. so they bring them out and I said this is not the highest quality give me your highest quality then they bring me out a little better quality. Oh, this is our highest quality. And I, I, I was experienced already. And I said, no, you have something better. So they would keep giving me the 
what they said was the highest, but they kept having something better. You know, there was that man who found that touchstone in Sanatan Goswami's garbage. Prabhupada said it couldn't have belonged to Sanatan Goswami or he wouldn't have kept it in the garbage. But anyway, and then he came back, he said, you must have something better. So I think it's like that, that Krishna consciousness is dynamic, it's always expanding, and it can be the best, but there's still something better, and there's still something better, and there's still something better. And there's something, this happens also in the conversation between Mahaprabhu and Ramananda Roy, that at first Lord Chaitanya says, external, 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 external. Then he says, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. Then he said, this is wonderful, this, but tell me more. This is wonderful, but tell me more. This is wonderful, but tell me more. So Krishna consciousness is dynamic, and you can get the best in that there's still there's something more. Even we can say with Chaitanya Charitamrita, the Goswamis have written literature that is, has more intimate pastimes even than is explained in Chaitanya Charitamrita. Yes? So it's like that. Yes? Um, Madhachi, you were talking about uh, contemplating yes. about Krishna's pastimes. Yes. Um, I would like to know how practically uh, can a woman do it in life in times when the children are small and one has so many duties, one is just happy to finish rounds. <laughs> what, how can one find the space just stepping back and contemplate? Well, it's not just women with young children who are... Can you repeat, sorry? She's asking how a woman with young children and very busy can think about Krishna. But Arjuna, Krishna told Arjuna to think about Krishna while he was fighting on a battlefield. And that's much more engaging than young children. Your young children hopefully are not trying to kill you. You know? Hopefully. So, you know, if someone on a battlefield is trying to kill you, and you're trying to, I mean, I haven't ever been on a battlefield in this life, and I don't remember any lifetime when I was on a battlefield. But I can just imagine it must be pretty intense. You know, it must require a lot of focus and concentration. You're trying to kill people who don't want to be killed, and your people are trying to kill you, and you don't want to be killed. What did you speak about about family, where emotionally you don't want to kill the people you're trying to kill. So you have a duty to kill somebody, but internally, emotionally, you don't want to kill them. So you have an inner emotional conflict going on. And still Krishna says, Mam Anusmaram. Take something, whatever, whatever you have, there's something that can remind you of Krishna's pastimes. I mean, Krishna has childhood pastimes. If you have little children, practically anything they do can remind you of one of Krishna's childhood pastimes. I, I, I was, um, I mean, like in a practical situation when um, we are, you know, just uh, the, the, the point, the, you know, sometimes people or children can press our points and we just get like... Or then you stop, you stop, and you think, what is there? Okay, this is an aversion or an attachment. Step back. It's an attachment, it's an aversion. What is there in the Shastra that's similar to this? There'll be something, because the Shastra has everything. Krishna did that to Mother Yasoda. He made her mad too. She was she was mad. She was actually angry. I mean, it's a rasa, but she was angry. You can meditate on that. When Krishna eats dirt, she was she was upset. Come on, Krishna go, went into the house, other people's houses and passed urine on the floor. about that yeah, when Lord Chaitanya was young he'd go into the river when the Brahmanas were chanting their noon Gayatri he'd pull them into the water 
What was really awful is that he would he would lock the doors early in the morning, and people needed to leave their house to to use a toilet out in the field, and they couldn't get out of their house because he locked the door. Think about that. Next time your kids do something naughty or whatever, or if your kids are rude to you, if they talk back to you, and you can remember how you know Lord Chaitanya was was there, and he said, "I said I'm not going to go to school." Or he starts preaching Mayavad philosophy to his mother about eating dirt. Oh my goodness. So just take your mind there. But it's a question of recognizing, of recognizing. My, my mind and body are going to an attachment and aversion. What is there with Krishna and his devotees? that is something like what I'm experiencing, that is the reality of which I'm experiencing the reflection. And very quickly, I mean, very, very quickly, it will will just be a matter of one or two minutes, the attachment and aversion on the material level will go away. Can I start with a third point? Because um, when you were saying when somebody is angry, we can't preach to them. That's right. So it feels like, you know, when we are in that, it's like such an... So you need to notice it sooner. You need to notice it before it gets to the point that you're not reachable. And as I say, even the impersonalists practice this. And this is something in chapter 2 of the Bhagavad Gita. So it's not something that requires that you be an Uttama Adhikari to do, or it wouldn't be here. This is not in the last chapter of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. It's in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. So it's something that even beginners should be expected to do. To recognize it before it gets too bad and switch it to Krishna. And it's practice. And sometimes we'll fail. But if we're making an effort, we get what? Prasadam. And again, that's not referring to a samosa, although that may be there too. But it's, it's referring that we get the grace of God. That attracts the grace of God. And then he takes something that's, just like it says, one who remembers Lord Chaitanya, even difficult things become easy. All right, I should stop now. Thank you.